time unto the Lord as the man of God comes to preach in Jesus' name. Uh, let's lift our voices. Come on and clap your hands. Somebody rejoice in the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. What a great God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Mayo, for the invitation and also uh, all of the accommodations, the basket, and, and for letting me bring my wife with me also. Praise God. It's great to be here tonight. Thank God for the wonderful presence of the Holy Ghost that's in this house. Amen. Uh, I feel like that the message, uh, that the messages we have heard already uh, has just been outstanding and timely uh, for the hour. I, I read an article that a political analyst wrote. And this has actually been, I think, if I remember correctly, it was during the last um, presidential election cycle. And she was writing this article and bemoaning a certain political ad that was in the media and the falseness of the ad. And she had this to say. She said, the ad's cynicism contributes to a phenomenon that increases each year. And that is that we are becoming a nation that believes nothing. Not in nothing, but nothing we're told by anyone in supposed authority. Of course, I find that... that since this individual wrote this, that things have become increasingly worse. But she went on to say that everybody knows what the word spin means. People use it in common conversation. Everybody knows what going negative is. And um, she talked about political technicians who always think that they're magicians whose genius few apprehend, but she said, Americans now always know where the magician hid the rabbit. But here's what she said. But we shouldn't be so proud of our skepticism, which has become our cynicism. She said, someday we will be told something true that we need to know, and we won't believe that either. And that's where we are. Amen. What we have heard last night, Brother Young, thank you so much, Brother Bo and Brother Elder. These are things that we need to hear. And the reality is sometimes the thinking of society and the attitude and the things that's going on in our world can invade the thinking of the church. So that we can come in here at times and we can hear a man preach and we become skeptical of what he's saying. 
And we can go further than that. As she said, our skepticism can become our cynicism. Simply meaning we're not any longer questioning what they're saying, but we're questioning the motive for which they are saying it. Amen. Let me tell you, when the word of God is preached, you're hearing things that you need to know and you need to believe it. Anybody believe that tonight? You need to know it and you need to believe it. Hallelujah. And I'm saying all that tonight that I don't want to come to the house of God and be skeptical of what a man is preaching if he's preaching from the word of the Lord. And I certainly don't want to get a spirit of cynicism that questions his motives and looking for a reason why that he's saying it. God, God help us that we can preach the word of the Lord and we can receive the word of God and God can do great things for us in these last days. Somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. I know you're standing. Let's turn tonight to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 38. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 38. He said, These mentioned by their names were princes in their families, and the house of their fathers increased greatly. And they went to the entrance of Gedor, even unto the east side of the valley, to seek pasture for their flocks. And they found fat pasture and good. And the land was wide and quiet and peaceable. For they of Ham had dwelt there of old. If you will indulge me, I want to read these same verses in another version. And it says it on this wise. These mentioned by, their, these mentioned by name were princes in their families. And their father's houses increased greatly, so they needed more room. And they journeyed to the entrance of Gedor, to the east side of the valley, to seek pasture for their flocks. And they found rich, good pasture. And the cleared land was wide, quiet, and peaceful, because people of Ham had dwelt there of old. And had left it a better place for those who came after them. And for a few minutes tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Make it better than you found it. Amen. Make it better than you found it. One more time. Let's offer up some praise to God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah. And everybody shout amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. When you read the book of 2 Chronicles or 1 Chronicles, 
Uh, when you pass down through those verses with all of the begets, sometimes it seems so endless, and you wonder if there's really much benefit where spiritual content is concerned. However, I have found from time to time that there are statements that are inserted in the reading, in the passages, that when you look at them a little closer, they become greater and they become larger because of the message that is behind them. And that is such in our reading here tonight, the statement that we have found in our scripture text. When you go back to verse number 24, you find the beginning of the genealogy of the family of Simeon. There are a couple of intervals there when there is a statement about their villages and their cities or the land that they settled in. But then we come to verse 40 where it said that they found fat pasture and good. And the land was wide and quiet and peaceable for they of Ham had dwelt there of old. And so when you read this passage of Scripture, then it becomes very clear that the reason for the fat pasture and the reason for the good land and the reason why that the land was wide and it was quiet and it was peaceable, it was because it could be directly contributed to the efforts of Ham. Amen. It was not a land that had been drained of its strength. It was not a land that someone had depleted the goodness of it. But it was a land that when someone arrived, namely the children of Ham, that they took great pride in cultivating the land and enlarging the land. And I am convinced tonight that a great reason, as I read in the other version, that the great reason is because they were thinking not just of themselves, but they were thinking about future generations that would pass by the same place and would dwell in that place. So they decided early on that we're not going to leave this place worse than we found it. We're not going to deplete the land. We are not going to deprive the land of its goodness, but we're going to make it a better place than the place that we found it. Hallelujah. And so it was that they they began to give themselves uh, to, to labor. They gave themselves to clearing the land. They gave themselves to removing the rocks and the obstacles and everything that would stand in the way of a good crop, that would stand in the way of cultivating the land. Their mind was on one thing, and that is we want to develop the land to such a degree that it is productive, that it is a wide land, that there's plenty of room, that there is a great place that we would be able to provide not only for our children, but for our children's children and for our children's grandchildren. Hallelujah. 
I feel like preaching a few minutes here tonight. Amen. Because uh, there is a burden in my spirit. I really don't have, I don't have a sad story to tell you. I don't really have tonight, amen, any horror stories uh, of uh, traveling around the country. I know there may be them there, but I see it, I sense uh, across America, in the northwest to the northeast, uh, the southeast and the southwest, uh, from border to border in coast to coast, that there is a hunger in the heart of the apostolic movement to see things happen such as we have never seen before. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. But what I want to tonight, if I can, what I want to do is try to direct my comments and the message that I feel to a next generation of apostolics, a next generation, teenagers and young singles and young marrieds that are sitting upon the pew tonight. I want to offer to you the fact that you are not being given an apostolic movement that is devoid of power, that is devoid of anointing, that is devoid of inspiration, that is devoid, my, 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 hallelujah, you are being given an apostolic work that is full of the Holy Ghost, that is full of the power of God, that is full of the glory of God. Woo, come on and praise him, hallelujah. 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 There's already been a generation before you that made up their mind. They're not going to pass on to the next generation a weak church, an anemic church, a church that is full of the world, a church that is filled with Hollywood and all of its other influences. But there has been those who have determined we're going to have revival. We're going to see a move of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I am convinced tonight that this is a principle that is found in Scripture that God is pleased with. And that is people that take what is given to them and they improve upon it. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. It was a paradise. It was a place where all things were provided that were necessary for their sustenance and for their survival. God put him in the garden. And then God said to the man that he put in the garden, he said, I want you to dress it and I want you to keep it. I want you to till the land. I want you to cultivate this place. And I want you to build a wall around it. I want you to protect it. I want you to, my, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I got a job for you to do. I know I put you in paradise. I know I put you in a beautiful place. I know I gave you everything that you need in this place called Eden. But you're not there to do nothing. You're not there to just drain it. You're not there to just survive off of it. You know what God was saying to Adam? God was saying to Adam, make it better. I'm giving you paradise, but make it better. I'm giving you everything you need, but make it better. I'm starting to feel a little more comfortable now. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I know it was a beautiful place, and I knew the, the weather was perfect. I knew that, I know that everything in the garden was just, everything was nice. Everything was wonderful. They had nothing to worry about. They had nothing to fret, but God never put the man there to do nothing. He never put the man there to sit on the sidelines. He never put the man there to merely take up space and, Hallelujah. He didn't put the man there to just survive where he was. But he said, I got a job for you. I put you in a place that you need to build a wall around it. I put you in a... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going a little different direction tonight than what I thought it was going to go. But let me just go ahead and preach what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. Amen. I'm going to tell you even right now, right now in our nation, there is a war going on. There is a war going on for the very soul of this country. We are fastly moving to a society where everybody thinks that everything ought to be handed to them. Oh, hallelujah. There is an entitlement spirit and an entitlement mentality that says, I want you to give me what belongs to me. Give me what's mine. When somebody ought to have an attitude, thank God for the good old USA. I think I'll work for a living. I think I'll expend some energy. I think I'll give some time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When almost 50% of our population is on the public dole, when 50% of our population, oh, hallelujah. Amen. Don't think that that kind of attitude does not invade the thinking. Amen. From, from coast to coast and from border to border. Everywhere. We're fighting this attitude. We're fighting this spirit. I want to talk to a generation tonight. I want to challenge you. I've not come to throw you under the bus. I've come to challenge you tonight. I've come to challenge you to put your hand to the plow. I've come to challenge you tonight to get involved in the work of the kingdom. I've come to challenge you tonight to engage. I said engage. Engage in the labor. Engage in evangelism. Engage in worship. Engage in prayer.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't even have the story in front of me, but I, but I wish I knew the, the full details. But I know enough. I remember enough of the story. And I'm going to do my best to not uh, confabulate. Is that the right word? Amen. Did I get it? He's messed me up so bad, I don't even know who I am tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But I tell you, he has helped me. He has helped me with my wife's memory. Now I understand. Help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. No, I can tell you one thing, but when I start talking about what I remember, I can promise you I'll step back and think, now, am I confabulating or do I really know what happened? I have decided, folks, that if it happened five minutes ago, I don't have a clue what happened. I have no idea what happened. I'm just living in the now. Hallelujah. That's, I decided that's the safest place to live, just live in the now right here. Praise the Lord. So anyway, back to the story. The story that I heard was about a man that worked a good job, made good money, and, and he lost his job. And he was so upset. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't upset on losing his job because he wasn't making money for himself. You know what upset him? It upset him that he didn't have a job that he could bring tithe to church on Sunday morning, that he could bring an offering to church on Sunday morning. He got upset about that. And he went looking for a job and couldn't find one. So you know what he did? He went out and started picking up cans on the side of the road and selling them so he could bring an offering to God on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. We need a generation that will rise up in 2016. Praise the Lord. Come on now. Hallelujah. If you a young man and you're 30 years old and you're still living at home, amen, living off your parents, something's wrong. We got a problem. There's a problem here. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There ought to be an attitude that rises up inside of you and says, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make my world better. I'm going to make my church better. I'm going to help them have a better revival. I'm going to help them have a better, a better move of God. I'm going to, my, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. You didn't get the Holy Ghost in a dead church. You didn't get the Holy Ghost in a prayerless church. You didn't get the Holy Ghost in a church that didn't know how to have a move of God. When you got the Holy Ghost, you were, you were in a church that was praying. You were in a church that was preaching. You were in a church that was worshiping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
22 years ago, whenever Pastor and Sister Mayo came here, you know what they came here doing? They came digging out rocks. They came, they came cutting down trees. They came plowing the ground. You know what they had a mind? You know what their mind was on? Their mind was on the fact there's another generation coming. It's not just my children, but it's my grandchildren. They're, Hallelujah. What you're in tonight is not by accident. It didn't just fall in their laps. It didn't just take place by chance. But it happened to be that somebody decided early in the morning, I'm getting out and I'm going to run and I'm going to labor. I'm going to work. I've got to win souls. I've got to give Bible studies. We've got to make it better. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, you got to understand tonight that it's not just even about our babies, that we have another generation of our babies coming on, but we've got another generation of drug addicts coming on, another generation of alcoholics coming on, another generation of pimps coming on, and prostitutes. Come on now. we got all, my, my, my. There's another generation coming. Praise the Lord. We get enamored with things that the world doesn't get enamored with. We get caught up in our Pentecostalism. Can I just preach here tonight? Can I just be myself? Can I talk how I feel in the Holy Ghost? We get caught up in our Pentecostalism. And I love the culture. I love the culture of the church. I love the kingdom of God. I like all of that. But I'm afraid sometimes that we get so wrapped up in our own little ideas and our thought processes to the point where that we come to church and we can't worship because our favorite song leader's not leading singing. And we can't worship because we don't really like the beat of that particular song. And so I, I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't can't get with that. Hallelujah. I can't help the preacher preach tonight because if I, oh, hallelujah. I can't help him preach because he's not my favorite preacher. I want to tell you something. When they come walking through those doors and their minds been blown on drugs, when they come walking through those doors and their life is a wreck, when they come walking through those doors and sin has destroyed their marriage, has destroyed their career, has destroyed their life, they don't care who's preaching, they don't care who's singing, they don't care who the pastor is, they just want to know. Is this a land? Is there room for me here? Hallelujah. Is there room for me here? Is it wide enough for me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to make it better. Hallelujah. God didn't put you in the church to drain the church. 
He didn't put you in the church. On every financial statement, there is a column called an asset column. And there's a column called liabilities. Amen. Amen. And the net worth, the net worth on the financial statement is the total amount of what when you subtract the liabilities from the assets. The question is, what's the net worth of your church? Amen. Are you in the liability column or are you in the asset column? Woo, hallelujah. Are you improving? Are you improving the net worth of your assembly? Are you improving the net worth of your church? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can sit down. It's not that good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you got in this, it was a holiness church. It was a separated church. Come on, I don't have time tonight to preach on all the details of this. But you hear me. I said you hear me. Hallelujah. When you come here, don't try to worldly eyes the church. Amen. No, I don't even know if that's a word or not. But but don't try to bring the world and dumb the church down. Make it better. I said make it better. You ought to be looking for a way to improve your life, to improve who you are, to improve what you are. Praise the Lord. Some of my clearest memories of childhood, some of my fondest memories of childhood, goes all the way back when we, we would move. We moved quite a bit whenever, whenever I was growing up. Uh, we weren't quite as bad as one man my daddy told me about. said they moved so much that when he drove up in the yard with a pickup truck, the chickens ran out and sit on the tailgate, hold their feet together so they could be tied for the trip. <laughs> Amen. That's how often they moved. Well, that's, we didn't move that much. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can see my grandchildren right now. They got their head in their hands listening to the Holy Ghost radio saying, oh, God, now peepaws are really getting strung out now. Okay, I'll, go, I'll get back on, on point here. Amen. But we moved a lot. But the one thing I noted about my parents is that every time we would move into a new place or another place, it wasn't really new, it was another place. And it was a place where they were renting the facility. They were renting the house. It wasn't something they were buying. It didn't even belong to them. But it wouldn't be but a few days. I'd see my daddy outside with a paintbrush in his hand. And I'd see my mama inside. She'd have a, she'd have a mop and she'd have a 
toothbrush or whatever it was. She needed, she'd be cleaning out the cabinet she'd be cleaning out the corners and it didn't matter to her and I'd look at that and I'd think what in the world is going on it took me years to realize that they had an attitude they had a spirit inside of them that said we may not own this it may not belong to us but when we leave this house it'll be in better shape than whenever we found it Hallelujah. Amen. It'll be a lot better than what we found it. And it wasn't just it wasn't just the houses that we lived in, but it was the house of worship. It was where we had church. I cannot tell you how many projects that I saw my father out right in the middle of everything. As a matter of fact, years and years ago, I remember him hand building pews for our church that are still, I don't even remember what year it was. It goes all the way back, I, I'm sure, to the late 60s. And those pews are still being used in the old church today because they put forth an effort to try to improve the house of worship and make it a place nice for folks to come to and have church. Oh, God, God help me right now. Hallelujah. I said, God, help me right now. But I got a problem. I said, I got a problem. When I go someplace and I walk in the door and you can tell it ain't had a paintbrush in 20 years. It hadn't had a mop on the floor in three years. Something's wrong. I said, something's wrong. We got to get an attitude among us that says we're going to make it better. We're going to improve. We're going to do the best we can. Come on now. Hallelujah. Uh, help me, Jesus. And I really get upset about it when I look in the parking lot and up drives the man that's supposed to be in leadership and he's driving with a brand new uh, F-150 with it all uh, tricked out. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? What's wrong with our thinking? What's wrong with, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You guys got to let me preach here tonight. But there's an attitude that we've got to overcome. And that attitude is they can do the best they can. It, it, there's going to be others coming after me, but I'm not worried about them. As long as I'm okay, I don't feel that way. There's a passion inside of me. There's something in my spirit that says, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to pass to the next generation a Holy Ghost revival, a Holy Ghost message, a Holy Ghost church. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I preach a little more? God help us apostolics that go to a conference and trash a hotel room. Shame on you. I said shame on you. You know what it tells me? It tells me that, that had, you had that same spirit about your church at home. You've got that same spirit about where you live. You've got that same spirit about everything else that goes on in your life. 
Hallelujah. I can't tell you how many times I've rushed my wife a little bit saying, come on, honey, we got to go. And she looked at me and she said, don't you forget what you preach, Bubba. You preach, leave it better. So I'm going to put the trash in the trash can. And I'm going to do a little bit of strength. Hallelujah. Don't you hate it when your wife preaches to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Why do we need to be reminded as we were tonight that when we go to a restaurant representing a local church that we need to tip good? When you walk inside that restaurant and you walk out, everybody that works in that restaurant ought to say, man, I don't know who those folks were, but I felt something while they were here. I picked up on something while they were in this restaurant. Come on now. They don't need to see your nasty attitude. They don't need to see your bad spirit. They don't need to see your selfish attitude. They need to, my, 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 hallelujah. You ought to walk out of there. They ought to walk you. When you walk out, they ought to be saying, my Lord, who are those folks? I don't know who they are. I don't know where they're from. But there's something different about them. As a matter of fact, when you go back to the restaurant, the waiters ought to be fighting over you to wait on you because you not only tip good, but you got a good attitude. Jesus did say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, I'm shotgunning this tonight, and I know it, but that's all right. I'm feeling good and enjoying it. Amen. You're the salt of the earth. From where I come from, if it didn't taste good, we just salted it until it did taste good. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's how, that's how it worked. That's how it worked. Amen. We just salted it till it tastes good. Because there's something about salt. It flavors. It changes. It affects. It impacts. You know what that means? The neighborhood you live in ought to be better because you live there. Old fella moved into a new neighborhood one day and he walked out to the back fence and, and greeted the next door neighbor, the back door neighbor, and was talking with him. And he said, you know, I'm brand new to the neighborhood. He said, tell me, he said, what kind of neighbors are, are, are here in, in, in this neighborhood? And the other fellow looked at him and said, well, he said, what kind of neighbors did you have where you come from? He said, oh, man, we had great neighbors. We really had good neighbors. He said, you'll have good neighbors here, too. Some of y'all get that about midnight tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. The attitude that's being projected there, or the message that's being given is the fact that a lot of stuff that happens to us, it happens because of who we are and because of what we are to others. Amen. You get a good attitude around a neighbor, and it won't be long. You'll win that neighbor over. You'll, you'll, you'll help. You'll change. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? Amen. 
<laughs> I see some hand signals and some eye contact. God help me. Hallelujah. Let me hear me get back on the right track here so I don't mess up that check. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Where you work ought to be a better place because you work there. I know, I know, I understand. I understand we live in a wicked world. I understand there's a bunch of devils out there. I understand there's a lot of stuff going on. I live in the real world like you live in the real world. But I'm still going to tell you, amen, where grace, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I know I may be stretching that just a little bit to apply it tonight. Amen. I don't want to do damage to the word of God. But I still believe that good still overcomes evil. Good still overcomes evil. Hallelujah. Make it better. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You need to make it better. You need to make it better. You need to make it a better church because you're in it. Not to have an attitude that says, what would the church be without me? Not to be so arrogant to think that, that, that the church can't do without you. Hallelujah. Jesus looks up one day and he's got a church full of folks that's got rocks in their pocket. And they got a woman down front that they're saying, Moses said that she should be stoned because we caught her in the very act of adultery. And Jesus knelt down, wrote in the sand, stood back up and looked at everybody and said, he that's without sin cast the first stone. Amen. And the word of the Lord said from the greatest, the eldest to the least, the youngest, they began to filter away. They left until there was nobody there. Here's the problem. Everybody in church there that night knew that there was a woman in trouble. She was a sinner. She was ungodly. And they were ready to, to, to stone her and take the life from her. But when Jesus looked up, he looked at an entire crowd that everybody needed help. Everybody needed God. Everybody needed something to happen in their life that would change who they were and what they were. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My point tonight is this is no place to bring rocks. This is the place. Leave your rocks at home. Leave your rocks in your automobile. Leave your rocks by the side of the road. Come on, this is a place where we dig out rocks. We start getting rid of stuff because we want to make it a wide place. We want to make it a broad place. We want to make room for everybody. We want to make room for the drug addict. We want to make room for the alcoholic. We want to make room for the sinner. We want to make room for the atheist. We want to. My, my, my. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
when they walk in that door, they don't need to walk in with such, uh, seeing such a restricted land. Now, you listen, listen. If you think, if you think that I am minimizing standard separation, if you're minim- if you think you're, you're, you're wrong, you're missing my message altogether right now. You're misreading it. You're getting cynical about my motive right now. That's the problem. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about attitudes that exclude uh, people because they don't look like us when they walk through that door. They don't act like us when they walk through that door. Hallelujah. They ought to walk in here and feel so much of the love of God that they say, I think there's a place here for me. I think there's room here for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory. David, David didn't have a problem killing a lion and killing a bear. Defending the family and what the family possessed. As a matter of fact, he bought into his daddy's vision. Amen. And he wasn't going to let a lion destroy what his daddy had worked for. He wasn't going to let a bear destroy what his daddy had worked for. In fact, the Bible tells us that when that lion and that bear took that lamb out of the flock, it said that David went out and he smote the lion, smote the bear, and took the lamb out of his mouth. The reality is he was not after killing the lion or the bear. He was after saving the lamb. And sometimes we get so caught up trying to kill the lion and kill the bear, we got lambs in their mouth that's dying. Amen. We get get caught up sometimes looking at things from the wrong perspective. David had his one thing, one thing in mind. That's my daddy's lamb. That's my daddy's lamb. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that lamb. Now, when he took the lamb out of the mouth of that lion, then when the lion rose up against him and challenged David's authority, can I use it like that? Then David slew him. But he saved the lamb first. Our problem is sometimes we're killing lions and there's lambs in the mouth dying while the lion is dying. All right, let me get back on point here. All right, so David, David had no problem. And let me just pause long enough to say this to, to young preachers that are here tonight. God bless you. I love you. I was a young preacher at one time. Now I'm old. Amen. Just a few days, I'll be 63 if you're wondering. Amen. And so, 
Just, just to, to tell some young preachers here, if you don't fall in love, what your pastor has worked for, what your pastor has labored for, what your pastor has given his life for, if you're not willing to defend the lambs in your pastor's flock, Amen. Oh, hallelujah. So, I got to hurry here. I got to hurry because I am going somewhere back to my message here. But here's, here's what David did. He fought the lion. He fought the bear. He stood for the family's uh, welfare. And, 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 and again, just another point right there that, that men, oh, thank you, Brother Elder. Hallelujah. What a message to men this morning. But I'm going to tell some men here tonight, you got to learn how to defend this at home. I said defend it at home because if you don't learn how to defend it at home, when you come to church and your pastor's facing a Goliath and the church is facing a Goliath, you're not going to have what it takes to fight Goliath. If you've not learned how to fight the lion at home, if you've not learned how to fight the bear at home, fight at home. I said fight. Fight for truth at home. Fight for holiness in your home. Fight for separation in your home. Fight for prayer in your home. Fight for a love for God in your home. Do it on the home front. So when David come out to the, to the battlefield and there's Goliath, David looked at him and said, who is he? <laughs> What's going on here? What are you talking about, David? You're just a lie. It's all right. The Lord, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw, and he will deliver me out of the hand of that uncircumcised Philistine because David understood that there are some battles you got to fight on the home front and there's some battles you got to fight on the national front. There's some battles you got to fight in your local home with your family and there's some battles you got to stand up and fight where the church is concerned. And if you can't fight at home, you won't be fighting the church either. And I don't mean having a war in the church. That's not what I'm talking about because I'm preaching about a land that's full of peace. I'm talking about when your pastor is fighting spirits that you know how to stand up and fight with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and tonight, I'm going to tell you, if in this crowd, if in this crowd, I need to go down the list, the clothesline, and I've got to name everything, then, then we're in trouble here tonight. You happen to be in an apostolic church. I don't have time to go down the clothesline. I could go down the clothesline. Amen. I could talk about young men, young ladies. I could talk about uh, those that want to push the envelope where worldliness is concerned. They came into a church that's full of wholeness and separation. They came into a church, amen, that dressed godly. And now they're wanting to push the envelope. And now, 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 hallelujah. A little makeup here and a little bit of uh, shortening of the skirts here. And, and, and it's not very long before what you're trying to do is, is, is somehow make it palatable to your carnality. Make it palatable to your flesh. When you ought to be coming in here saying, thank God for what's been given to me. But I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to give it all I've got.
Amen. And, I, and I'm going to try to close here pretty quick. But listen, David knew how to fight lions. He knew how to fight bears. He knew how to fight giants. And you listen to me tonight. You've got to know how to stand up. When your pastor's preaching on separation, he's preaching on holiness, he's preaching on standards, he's drawing the lines, amen. He's, he's building the fences. You need to be right there challenging every foul spirit, every ungodly attitude, and, and let the world know I'm staying with my preacher, I'm standing with the man of God. Hallelujah. Mm, amen. But listen to me. Ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> I know this is old hat. You've heard this before. But there's a reason why I say amen. There's a reason why I raise my hand. There's a reason why when the preacher's preaching, I shout amen. First of all, I want God to know I'm with the word. Secondly, I want the preacher to know I'm with him. Thirdly, I want the church to know I'm with the word. I'm with the preacher. And fourthly, I want the devil to know. <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you tonight, all of those things are important. All of those things are necessary. We need to give everything we've got to maintaining our apostolic identities. I really believe that tonight. However, I want to add something to this, and that is that David was not just content to fight lions and bears and fight giants. He was not just content to fight the enemies of the home and the enemies of the nation or the people of God. But there was something else down inside the spirit of David, and he wrote it in these, in these words in Psalms 132 and 1. Oh, Lord, remember David. And all his afflictions, how he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the field of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles and we will worship at his footstool. You know what David was saying? He was saying, I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. I've killed Goliath. They sang in the streets. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. But there's something inside of me that says, I can't rest until we go get that ark. I can't rest until we bring back the glory. I can't rest. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't care what it takes. 
It doesn't matter what I have to do. I just got to get the glory back in the house. Praise the Lord. And in his efforts to bring the glory back, there was a man that lost his life on the way, bringing the glory back on a cart, a new cart, which was not God's design, which was not God's plan. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, there's some carts that we just don't need to try to use to bring the glory back. There's some things that'll never bring the glory back. There'll always be a death. There'll always be a loss of life. And when David looked at this man in the road that was dead as a result of him trying to, to, to keep the ark from falling off the cart, David, that's, this is, seems to me the only time that David really spoke some things so forcibly where God was concerned. What he was trying to say was simply this. I'm doing all I know to do. I'm working. I'm trying to get the ark back. I'm, I, I, I've done. I've been trying this. I've been working at this. And, and, and here's what I get for it. A man has lost his life. And then David said, David said, so how shall I bring the ark back? And he took the ark and he put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And David went back to, the, to Jerusalem and got back on the throne, sitting there for three months. And I don't know. I'm just, I know I'm using a little bit of supposition. I'm using a little, a little bit of thought process. I understand that. I don't want to take too much liberty tonight, but I got to believe that for three months, David stewed over the death of Uzzah. And then he stewed over, amen, what looked like uh, an inequity and unfairness. I was trying. I was doing all I could do. And, and, and David is there for, for three months, 90 days pass, and somebody comes in the house. They come I'm in the throne room and they said David they said the house of Obed-Edom is being blessed where the glory is where the ark is the one thing that I know I see God answering David on many circumstances but this was one time God never answered him when David said how shall I bring the ark back God never responded God never because I'm going to tell you what I really think amen there's some questions that we have rise up in our mind that God doesn't give us the answer to because sometimes God but God knows that we can live with the question a whole lot easier than we can live with the answer so sometimes you is it to leave some things in God's hand and not worry about it. David's on the throne and David hears the ark is down there at Obed-Edom's house and Obed-Edom's house is being blessed. It's being blessed. And all of a sudden, David realized, my questions don't mean anything. My, my fret and my pity party doesn't mean anything. The only thing that means anything is, let's get that ark. Let's get the ark. Let's get the blessings. Let's get the glory. Let's get... And he found out how to get the ark back. 
And when he started down that road six paces and set that ark down and began to dance before the Lord with all of his might, there was only one thing he had in mind. I got to make Jerusalem better. I got to make it a better place. It's a beautiful place. It's Mount Zion, but I want the glory there. I don't want to just see a bear skin tent on the wall or a skin on the wall. I don't want to just see a lion skin on the wall. I don't want to just flash Goliath's sword. I want the glory. I want the glory. I want the glory. Hallelujah. And so I tell you, man, brethren, sisters, everybody in the house, when your preacher is preaching and you can stand up and you can shout amen whenever he's preaching on standards and separation at the same time when he starts preaching about the glory. Hallelujah. The same fervency that you gave when you were killing lions and bears needs to be given as David did, dancing before the Lord with all of his might to get the glory back. (laughs) Come on. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you feel, but I'm not satisfied with just somehow maintaining this apostolic church and just holding on until the end. Something inside of me says, we got to make it better. We got to make it more glorious. We got to make it more powerful. Somebody shout amen. You can remain standing. We're going to make it better. The king prayed, Oh, Lord, when I'm old and gray-headed, forget me not until I have shown your power to this generation and your glory to those who are to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's something inside. Amen. God has given us such opportunity. We are in a dark hour, but what an hour it is. And the last thing we need is a land full of war and backbiting and bitterness at one another and anger at one another. The last thing we need is to be nursing grudges. Oh, help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. This land, you hear me? This land, this land needs to be a peaceable land. It needs to be a land that's quiet and peaceable. A land that's producing. A land that can feed the lost. A land that can reach a world that's dying and going to hell. A land that when they walk in, they can walk in and say, oh, what a beautiful place. I feel something in this house that I haven't felt anywhere. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. And they found rich, good pasture. And the cleared land was wide, quiet, and peaceful because people of Ham had dwelt there of old and had left it a better place for those who came after them. Amen. I've already made my mind up. I, I, I feel like Brother Ballestero now. I've already made my mind up how I'm going to die. I'm going to die living this truth. I'm going to die loving this great message. I'm going to die loving God. And please, please forgive the personal reference, but I'm going to tell you that if there's anything I want, if the Lord were to tarry and take me home prior to his return, I want my grandchildren saying, my granddaddy preached revival. He didn't get old and crusty and grouchy and stale and find fault with everything and everybody that was going on. But he loved God. He loved the message. He loved the word. He loved truth. Amen. He gave us a hunger for revival. I hope this is all right. Come on. I want to make it better. I don't want my grandchildren growing up in a dead, dry Pentecostal atmosphere. I want them coming to church where the power is, where the glory is, where the anointing is. Now I understand what I preached here tonight may not apply to everybody in this house because I feel a lot of people in this place that are really hungry and they're driven to reach the lost driven to have revival, driven to have a good church I don't think I came to this pulpit tonight just to preach this message for the sake of preaching it I believe there's key people sitting in this house here tonight that you've begun to take on an attitude because you've been in church so long. You feel like now you can kind of coast. You can sit back. Somebody else can do the work. That's the last thing that this next generation needs to see. That's the last thing that this next generation needs to see. need to see and I know sometimes age I know I well I know age sometimes prevents you from doing everything that you used to do at least with the ease and the strength that you used to do it with amen I understand that but grandma grandpa we still need you in the prayer room Come on, Daddy, we need you in the prayer room. Mama, we need you in the prayer room. 
We got a generation of babies coming on that when they get to the age that they start comprehending, they need to feel God in the house. They need to feel God in the house. They need to experience the glory. The glory is here. Make it better. Make it better than the way you found it. While they're singing tonight, this altar is open. I just feel like that something needs to be birthed in some folks here tonight that says, I'm making my mind up tonight. My pastor's not going to have any more problems out of me.